0: Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. Um... I'm sorry, list the attributes of successful entrepreneurs and describe entrepreneurial teams, entrepreneurs, and home and web-based businesses. Uh, Discuss the importance of small business to the American economy and summarize the major causes of small business failure. Summarize ways to learn about how small businesses operate. Analyze what it takes to start and run a small business. Outline the advantages and disadvantages small businesses have in entering the global markets. So quite a diversity of topics to talk about with regard to entrepreneurship and small business. So jumping right in, Joe Clark, co-founder and CEO of Kodiak Cakes. Has anybody bought Kodiak Cakes before? The brands? I have not. I've seen them in the grocery store. Brothers Joel and John Clark took their mother's whole grain, high-protein pancake mix and sold it door-to-door. Joe earned an MBA and quit his job to focus on Kodiak Cakes full-time as CEO. Kodiak Cakes failed to get investment on Shark Tank, But their sales skyrocketed after consumers saw the show. Now the company's annual sales exceed $100 million. So, like I said, and some of the themes of of some of these things we've talked about so far. So, uh, last week I showed you a clip on cupcakes in a jar, right? We could get cupcakes. This week I showed you Love Pop, which are basically laser-cut 3D or laser-cut pop-up cards, Right here is an example of pancakes. What do you see the common thread as being? They're very simple items that are just being reinvented, right? There's nothing groundbreaking about pancakes or cupcakes or gift cards, right, or or pop-up cards. But these entrepreneurs are reinventing the wheel in a way that makes this item appealing and interesting. And so that's the challenge is what, I don't need to, you don't need to come up with the next great whatever. You just need to figure out what's a gap in the market that will be excited about a product or service that I want to introduce. Something with a hook in it, you know, something that makes people want to knock on your door, or give you a call, uh, use your product or service. And so entrepreneurship, accepting the risk of starting and running a business. Um, when I say entrepreneurship or entrepreneur, think that's synonymous with risk taker, somebody that's risking time, talent, and dollars towards a business goal. Notable entrepreneur, French immigrants. And Arinde DuPont de, de More uh, started DuPont in 1802. I probably butchered that name. David McDonald borrowed $500 from a friend to start Avon. George Eastman started Kodak with a $3,000 investment in 1880. And Jeff Bezos started Amazon with investments from family and friends. Yeah, so, and there's examples like this all over the place. And some of the most uh, successful entrepreneurs you never even heard of. They're just individuals that start with the concepts, and um, they're not notable. They're not famous, but they run successful business enterprises. Um, so customer loyalty, wacky grocer Grocer Jungle Jim uh, Bonamino uh, may put on a wizard suit and roller skate through his Jungle Gyms international market, but he's serious when it uh, comes to business. Instead of competing on price against big firms like Walmart, Jungle Jim competes on product variety. For example, uh, a case holding 1,500 kinds of hot sauce rests beneath an antique fire engine. Why do you think customers might remain loyal to Jungle Jim? So what is the what is he trying to accomplish here? He knows he can't compete on price. So what is he trying to accomplish, and, and, and how is he trying to differentiate himself? The experience, the experience right. So um, I was at Myrtle Beach, and I saw this. this. You've probably seen it. If you've been to Myrtle Beach, um, there's this kite store called Kligs Kites. Anybody remember this? It's over by. There's a couple of them, but the notable ones at Broadway. And if you if you go during peak season, there'll be like, uh, I guess the. If sometimes business owner will be out there with a weird outfit on, playing with all different types of contraptions and devices. And it reminds me of this Jungle Jim character. Uh, if I, you know, if you walk in a grocery store and you see a wizard that greets you and talks and guides you over to his hot sauce case with 1500 different hot sauces. There's something appealing about that. You know, it's like, you just don't see, you might see that at Walmarts, but it's a different kind of experience, you know, but I would be, if I, if I could see an entrepreneur like this, being a friendly person that wants you, that invites you to come to a store and you have a different kind of appreciation. You don't see an owner of Walmart walking around Walmart trying to make sure their customers are having a great experience. You know, you just don't see that. But when it comes to a small business like this, you do see that level of commitment where you have an owner. Yes, good. Yes, yeah, sure. All right. So five reasons to start your business right away. You have potential for long-term returns. You don't have a mortgage or kids to take care of. You can survive on little funds and work long hours. No disruption to your career path. It hasn't started yet. You're more. That's what the guys from Harvard just did with that love pop. You're more adaptable and have higher risk uh, tolerance at younger at a younger age, and so there's a bunch of different reasons you can go into it. I think if I added another one to the list, you can take a risk and not damage your long term prospects if it doesn't work out. You know, so like, let's well, say you take a business venture that costs three thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, but it's not. You can't you can overcome that if it doesn't work you know um does anybody remember a company called LulaRoe and does that ring a bell to anybody LulaRoe there was a scam and well, scam is a strong word uh, it could be characterized as a scam i think it was um i think it was more of a they were not a well run company and it imploded that's tr- the that, that, that's how i would characterize it there's actually a documentary on um prime video called lula rich and okay well there you go yeah yeah so i saw it on prime and i'll be available on youtube but if you get a chance to watch lula rich check it out it basically recounts the story of this family that started a business and it got so wildly successful they just kept hiring their own family members to run it these were not business experts they were not marketing experts or fashion gurus but it it grew so astronomically fast and exponentially fast that they really couldn't manage a company that size. And so imagine putting any one of us, including myself in charge of of a large corporation, even though I have some business acumen, it would be challenging to run a business that size without the experience of having done it. So they got put into a situation where it just grew so incredibly quickly and customer service just started going out the window. Their product quality dropped. Dramatically, they, they outgrew their warehouse and they started storing clothes in the parking lot that would get wet from mildew, from, uh, from like moisture in the mornings. And, uh, and they were shipping clothes that had mildew in them to their clients. But basically, uh, in order to get involved in this business, you had to come up with eight to $10,000. So, say I'm an entrepreneur, I want to go into the clothing business. I would give these guys eight to 10 grand. They would send me cases and cases of product, and I would create a pop up boutique in my living room. And I would have parties. Where I invite ladies over to come. They look through my inventory. They buy what they want, and then they go. Here's the problem with that business model. So, if I'm a if I'm a shopper, if I, you know, male or female, and I'm going to somebody's boutique to look at it, I don't need to look at it, but once or twice to see everything they've got. And after I've bought what I wanted, whatever else left, they have in inventory, I don't want. And so you have to have a lot of people cycle through there to buy this inventory and what, what the vendors or the, I guess the consultants who were the franchisees found out is that they would get in product. Let's say they got in 300 items. Well, 30 to 60, 10 to 20% of that would sell out and they'd be left with 80% of the inventory. And then they'd have to buy new inventory to bring it, it's, it's new and fresh. So then customers, return customers comes again. Then they look through this new section of inventory and then that gets bought down, you know, 20, 30%. But they still got a lot of inventory left. So they just kept accumulating piles and piles of inventory. And it was a very difficult business to, uh, to manage. And so, yeah, my wife actually looked at it, and I, I strongly encouraged her not to go into it. I was like, look, this doesn't seem like it's going to be viable. And it ended up not being viable. They, they went out of business. All right, so more Americans are working over the age of 65 since 1996 Older Americans have opened businesses at a higher rate than those aged 20 to 34. Older entrepreneurs have greater experience and more financial resources. That's a, the that's a reason. So, did you need something or just stretching? So, more experience, more financial resources. If I'm retired, if I'm older, I'm 65 plus, I could open what's called a hobby business or just a small business where I now i have got the time and some financial resources to devote to it. So, you see a lot of older folks doing that. So, four major reasons. Um, people take the entrepreneurial challenge, opportunity, profit, independence, and the challenge. And so opportunity and profit are top two for a reason. Um, you know, you have to always keep your eyes open for opportunities because they are literally all around us. In fact, uh, we, we look at opportunities here pretty often. Uh, my boss was telling me about yesterday that there's a chips manufacturer coming into the region And microchips, I think, are going to be a big deal in production, U.S. production in the coming decade. And so that's an opportunity for us as educators to figure out how can we train the next generation of chip manufacturers. He was at a workshop or, I guess, a conference last week where they actually have a 3-D printer that prints chips now. And it blew his mind to see this, and so he came back and started telling me about it. But that's an opportunity for us. You know, we have to be competitive against uh, other institutions, and we have to stay competitive to, in order to keep our students engaged. So we also look at opportunities. So what does it take to be an entrepreneur? You got to be self-directed. You got to be self-nurturing. You got to take care of yourself. Action oriented, you got to get stuff done. You've got to be highly energetic and you got to have, be tolerant of uncertainty, meaning that you don't know what's going to happen always. Um, often I get it wrong when I pr- try to predict the future. You just don't know what's going to come out of left field. But I like the idea of all these. High energy is a big one. You got to get up and have energy, but you also got to get stuff done. And being self directed, that's a tough one for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people fall in that camp. You know, they want to be told what to do, they want to be uh, compliant and uh, be workers, but not the one leading the ship because that leads to a lot of uncertainty. And that uncertainty is uncomfortable. But definitely a good thing if you're an entrepreneur because that leads you to uh, opportunity and potentially profit. So, tips for starting your business in school. Find a problem or needs. So, at the very early part of this uh, class, we talked about demographics. And we said that in the coming years, a large chunk of the population is going to be older, correct? We know this. What does that lead to, though, for opportunities for us? What can we come up with to say, how can we serve that population of individuals? And we don't have to, we don't have to target older individuals. But that seems like it would be an easy mark. You know, what can we do to serve that, that group of individuals? What type of needs are they going to have? Um, so whoever solves those problems is going to be rewarded. You know, um, there is a daycare service online. I'm, I'm sure there's several where you can sign up and find childcare or, or not daycare, but um, babysitters in your local area. There, uh, And you've seen, there's a commercial called Visiting Angels. Have you seen this? Where you can have somebody come take care of your elderly parent or grandparents. I think if somebody needs to revolutionize, like, we need to change that model a little bit. Like, imagine we have basically a babysitter for elderly parents and grandparents, you know. I know that's not a appropriate term, but elder care, you know. I think there's a huge opportunity. Somebody that will show up at certain times throughout the day bring groceries, you know, that kind of stuff. What's up? Repeat. Isn't that just a hot mess? A home nurse. Yeah, it could be. It could be considered that, yeah. But not everybody has medical credentials like LPNs or CNAs or RNs. So basically just like a free agent, like a babysitter, you know, like somebody just to be a helper, you know, like run here, do that. I mean, I think I think that, that market has tremendous uh, potential. One business I saw recently was, um, you know how we have uh, Uber and things like that? Somebody set up a, a booking, like it's kind of like an Airbnb for haircutting. So they found that like uh, there's a lot of people that cut hair, but they don't want to pay booth rents or have a, uh, uh, be in a, a barbershop or beauty salon. And so they have an Airbnb where they'll show up either at your house or at a at a location that they've they designated for the day, and they cut hair by appointment like that. And so, there's you know, and the people that started it are really successful with it. So, stuff like that is just I think is a, a tremendous opportunity. And once you get it established, I mean you're running the business, and so you're not the one actually providing those services. You're just the the middle person. You're facilitating that. Every time somebody picks up somebody for Uber, Uber's getting paid. You know, and so like. I have a love-hate relationship with eBay. Every time I sell something on eBay, eBay's getting paid. They didn't do anything but set, but have the infrastructure, the website, and that drives me nuts. You know, I'm like they're getting fifteen percent of the sale every single time. So that's the kind of things you need to be thinking of. Is what can I do that solves a problem? Find a mentor. That's a big one. I met a guy some years ago that was a professor at NC State's, and he had found a mentor. Somebody that was ex-military, and that ex-military guy, when he got out of the military, he set up a, a company to do the same service he did in the military. But then instead of being in the military and doing that service, he became a uh, contractor for the military, and he had multi-million dollar contracts to the military to provide that same service that he was doing as a soldier in the military. And I was like, and the guy who I met, he was working with that guy, on, with his company. I was like, you know, there's opportunities everywhere. Zero in on specifics. What is it going to take to make this work? Where's the opportunity? Who are my Who are my customers? What am I going to need to make this happen? What type of research do I need to know on the front end? What are the unknowns that are going to bite me? What you know? You need to figure out all those things on the front end. Do research on campus. Test products with students. Uh, move forward with your idea. Don't wait. Sacrifice. Embrace failure. Even something like um, like. You know, there's, I was on TikTok Been a while back. I don't get on TikTok much. But I was getting all these inbox messages from people offering to write my college papers for me. Has anybody got a message like that on TikTok? Hey, I, I do homework assignments. I can do this, that, or the other. I do graduate. I go to graduate words, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, there are solicitors online that will solicit you to do papers and things like that for you. And I was thinking... You know, you could probably do well just doing a legitimate thing, you know, not trying to cheat or plagiarize. What's up, Logan? Did you have a comment? Yeah. There was an article some time ago now on the Chronicle of Higher Ed um, from a known, he was a prolific plagiarizer, a ghostwriter, and this person, I don't know who it was, they they were using a pseudonym, but they said that for a certain amount of money, they would do pretty much any level of work you needed to be done. Um, they talked about, you know, the basically the exams they had taken, the papers they had written at all levels of academia. You know, undergrad, graduate, doctoral work. I mean, it's crazy. And it's, it's prolific. It's out there. But uh, sacrifice, embrace failure, what that means is that uh, if you look at a success story, you often don't see the failure that it took to get there, the hard, the sacrifice that was the, that it took to get there, um, the sweat equity, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that it took. And so, just because you could look around and see all these successful people doing uh, successful things and successful companies, doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of heartache on the way to that success. So you need to be inspired by the success, but know there are some challenges along the way that you got to work through. So turning your passions and problems into opportunities. Most sources of innovation are like a flashlight. An idea is a good opportunity if it fills customers' needs. If you have the skills and resources to start a business, you can sell the product or service at a reasonable price and profit. You can get your product or service to customers before the window of opportunity closes. You can keep the business going. So there's these things that come out every year. It used to be, I don't see it as much as I used to, but they would have the, hot, the top 10 hot toys for Christmas. Do you, remember, do you remember seeing something like this in the past? Every year they'll put out a list. These are the hot tin items for Christmas or hot tin toys. And the one that pops in my mind, this is back from around 2006. It was a 10th anniversary Tickle Me Elmo. This was a hot toy. Do you remember those? You squeeze this belly. and you... <laughs> you guys know, right? Come on. You don't know Tickle Me Elmo? Okay, he does. Angel does. You, you know Tickle... You, you remember those? Oh, I was born in 2006. Okay. God, that really puts things in context. But um, so anyway, Tickle Me, Emma was a hot toy. Just take my word for it. And we got a shipment in at Walmart and I bought one. I think there were 20 bucks. I sold that thing on eBay for 120 bucks the next day. Just like that. But if I had held that toy a few months till after Christmas, the opportunity window would have closed. What is yeah? Uh, where is it? Yeah. That that people wouldn't be it wouldn't be in demand at that point. So every Christmas you see this this panic to get everything sold prior to the holidays because anything that's left you know it doesn't count after after Santa comes right. And so you have to identify the opportunity when it's hot and strike. If there's a major global event, you'll see people jump on that and try to capitalize on it. So when Barbie came out this summer, you saw Barbie apparel everywhere, right? That's 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 what they're talking about. They have Vendors set up to sell those things and they're going to make money while they get it. When you go to a concert, they try to sell you t shirts in the concert for 30, 40 bucks. When you leave the concert, there's people in the parking lot trying to sell you t shirts at a discounted rate. Last chance, did you did you see this this weekend? Yes. So did you buy a t shirt? No. Did they ask you to buy a t shirt though? Yeah. they did. Yeah. How much, do, how much were they outside the concert, did they tell you? I, didn't really... I think the last concert I went, they were 30 or 40 in and they were like 15 or 20 out, so about half-priced, you know. All right, so this is another example of becoming an entrepreneur. Kuda Biza and Brian Janzinko founded Oh God, believable Cookies uh, or Unbelievable Cookies in 2019 as a way to take a bite out of world hunger. For every dozen cookies that the company sells, it donates two meals to soup ki- kitchens across the USA. Do you think more entrepreneurs should use their business to direct Directly support charitable causes? Why or why not? What do you think? Do you think it's an important thing to connect your business to a charitable organization? Most businesses that I see now that are regional or national have something like that in their corner. That this is our initiative. This is what we do. Um, I, I'm a. i am do some work in the food industry on the side, and there was a group that we connected with last year, and it's called Move for Hunger. And what it was, um, this organization, they were big time moving company where they would, you know, people would leave move out of their apartment. They would, they would get their boxes and take off. What they discovered was, is that people leave behind a lot of food when they move out of their apartments and stuff. Their cupboards would be slammed full of canned goods, all kinds of stuff, dry goods and whatnot. So they would take this food and just take it back to the office, and it would stack up pretty quickly. And then they would donate it to their local food pantry. Well, they they realized this is an opportunity we're going to turn into, we're going to use that as part of our mission. So they kind of set up a subsidiary underneath their for-profit venture. They set up a nonprofit called Move for Hunger that looks to help relocate food and get it to folks in need. So I think there's a ton of opportunity here. And if you're trying to have a a business, be it a small business or not, you should have some type of charitable contribution that you do uh, in order to connect with the community, in order to give back. That's that's all good stuff. So I was looking at TV not too long ago, and I saw a lawyer pop up. Uh, Does anybody know who Brian Ritchie is? I see that guy's commercial everywhere. You haven't heard of that? Have you heard of Brian Ritchie? I see that guy's commercial every single day. I I don't have satellite, I have antenna, so I see these local channels. This guy advertises all the time. Well, he popped up one day, he's holding a check for like $5,000 or something, giving it to a local something. And I was thinking, you know, He's buying. use using that five thousand dollars to buy the clout of I'm a guy who gives back to my community, and he gets some of that. All right, so let's talk about teams a little bit. A group of experienced people from different areas of business who join to form a managerial team with a skill with the skills to develop, make, and market a new product. So that's what this last team was. We looked at with Love Pop on Shark Tank. They were an entrepreneurial team. They had similar or Complementary skill sets that were able to help them launch this new product. Teams can combine their creative skills with production and marketing skills from the start, ensure more cooperation and coordination among functions. So, just like we had our discussion when we talked about partnerships, you want to be cautious about who you invite into your team because uh, you might have a great idea and it might work for a while, but you have to, just like with the business, if we back up a couple slides, uh, can you keep the business going? can you keep the team going you know because the business might be viable but are you going to be able to work with this person year in and year out over a long period of time that's something you need to be honest about so then there's this other thing called intrapreneurs these are creative people who work as entrepreneurs within a corporation intrapreneurs use a company's existing resources to launch new products for the company examples include i 3 and Post-it notes Apple's Mac computer and Sony's PlayStation these are companies that set up subsidiaries to allow groups of people to do creative things. Google does this, they say, um, they actually allow their engineers to commit a certain amount of time every week to producing new products and services, to come up with something. Gmail was created that way, a couple other Google applications. Um, and you can see some of the stuff, best stuff comes from giving these uh, folks creative liberties. So becoming an entrepreneur, When you come up with a winning idea, stick with it. That's certainly been the motto of 3M, the maker of Post-it Notes. The company encourages entrepreneurs among its employees by requiring them to devote at least 15% of their time to think about new products. How has this commitment to innovation paid off for 3M and its employees? I have an idea for a company. I'm going to give it to you. Maybe you'll run with it. So over the weekend, and I've talked about this kind of concept before, I was, um, did the hamburgers and hot dogs for my kid. I said, you know, my town that I live in, which is Mount Olive, only has a handful of restaurants. We should get a she shed, go put it on a parcel, like, close to town, and call it Dogs Out. Like, who let the dogs out? But Just call it Dogs Out. And have a me- very simple menu with, like, ten combos or 10, ten items. And the ten items are just ten different variations of a hot dog. You're plain Jane. It's just a plain hot dog, nothing on it. You know, uh, we, could, we could do one called The Basic with mustard and ketchup. And just have a couple different, I thought one would like uh, pico de gallo and jalapenos would be awesome. So, you know, a couple different variations. And then have a hot dog of the day, something different, barbecue dog or something like that. Barbecue dog with onions, yeah, I think that could be good. But just to have very simple menu, very simple pricing, and just do hot dogs, chips, and drinks, canned drinks, Simple, and I, look, it would be huge because there's a hot dog stand out here. Has anybody ever been to it in the single wide trailer? You know what I'm talking about? It's right past, it's right past the, the the crossroads up here. What's up? Where? No, it's, what's that? The little yellow stand. Yeah, have you been there? They. You know what I heard? I don't know if this is true or not. I heard that business does a million dollars in sales a year. I heard that. I don't know if it's true or not. But even if you did half that, 500K a year, that's strong, man. That's really strong. And so, like, one of the most successful restaurants in my hometown was a place called Jennifer's Grill. Before that, it was T.A.'s when I was in high school. Her dad owned it. Jennifer's eventually sold her business to another person who owns it now called Lydia. But Jennifer did so well, her and her husband retired to the beach – they have a beach house, and they started they started a food truck called Jennifer's, and they just sell hot, hot dogs and hamburgers on the side now, you know. So just like what I've told you, cupcakes in a jar, pancakes, pop-up cards, these are simple ideas that really can be really good revenue streams for you. So if you ride down the road one day and you see a hot dog stand that says dogs out, and you see me in there waving to you, stop by and get a hot dog. I'll give you one for free, okay? so. <laughs> But my problem is I don't have time to do it right now. I work, you know, I'm here Monday through Friday. You know, I, it could be a, just a Saturday only thing, but I don't know. What do you think about my, my business idea? Here's another big thing. Here's another good thing about it. It's a low startup cost. Like a she shed, I don't know how much it would cost for a nice one, but maybe in the ten to twenty thousand dollar range. And then you just got some uh, kitchen supplies, food costs. I think I can do the whole thing for under thirty k. So, and it'd be a, a real nice setup. Dogs out, hot dogs. Let's do it. What was the old... There was a place called Wiener Works back in the day. Anybody ever go to that one? Has anybody ever been to a dedicated hot dog restaurant? I Have, have you... Do you remember the name of it? Uh, what was it? What you got, Logan? I guess could say Snoopy's. Yeah. I don't remember them. Where have you been? Uh, it's a place called Hot Daisy Dogs. By the beach. By the beach? Okay. Are they booming? Oh, yeah. see. that's what I'm saying. I mean... There you go. That's, a, that's an idea. That's an entrepreneurship idea. Maybe I'll wait till I'm 65 when I'm more financially free and, and, and you not know, working. So, All right. Micropreneurs, entrepreneurs willing to accept the risk of starting and managing a business that remains small, lets them do the work they want to do, and offers them a balanced lifestyle. More than half of U.S. micropreneurs are home-based. Many are owned by people combining career and family. All right. So reasons of growth in the home-based businesses Computer technology has leveled the playing field. You can open up a business and be online instantly. Corporate downsizing has led many to venture on their own. Social attitudes have changed. New tax laws have loosened restrictions on deducting expenses for home offices. Let me ask you this. Does um, pandemic kind of put people in a perception where they want to work from home and not go into the office? How do you guys feel about that personally? If you, would you, rather work for, if you, if you got an office-based job, would you rather work from home all the time or work from the office all the time? Okay. Got you. Anybody else have a feeling on that? So, work at Starbucks at home or something yeah. like, Or Panera at home? Okay. Got you. What do you think, man? What would you prefer to do? Work from home or would you prefer to go to the office every day? Uh, I prefer to work from my own office. Your own office. All right. There you go. Break the mold, man. I like it. So some challenges of a home-based business. Getting new customers is difficult. Managing your time requires self-discipline. Angel. Work and family tasks are sometimes not separated. Yeah, we have a few people that work from home here. But if we try to get up with them and they're doing laundry, that's a challenge. Government ordinances may restrict your business. Homeowner's insurance may not cover business-related claims. Uh, And there's one, the other, we mentioned distractions. Yeah, sometimes you'll be on a Zoom call and I've done interviews with people and there'll be like dogs barking in the background and stuff, you know. Like, I'm cool, but, you know, that, that, that can be a little off-putting to some, I guess. So many businesses can be started at home, listed below are businesses that have low startup costs and don't require an abundance of administrative tax. So personal creations, artwork, and handmade items that be, can be sold on sites such as Etsy, eBay, and Amazon. In-home services such as tutoring, landscaping, snow shoveling house cleaning pet sitting babysitting web designing personal training and home organizing repair or skill-based services tailoring plumbing home repairs painting consulting advising businesses in areas in which you have an expertise such as technology marketing search engine optimization or social media management resale buying goods and reselling them, reselling items online that you buy in garage or estate sales this is so red hot like any sale that I go to, there's there's flippers there trying to get a hold of stuff. You'll see people posting videos of they're going to estate sales, and these guys like bum rush the house. They run up in there, and they're looking for vintage toys and games and all kinds of mess. And they'll, I mean, they'll grab all kinds of like they'll pick this up. This is a part that was on that model from 1982, and somebody will pay ten dollars for this. You know, I mean, seriously, these guys. I see that as, as red hot. But the problem with that is. I mean, you could do it part-time, but it's hard to find consistent stuff continually. Shared economy opportunities like Uber driver and Airbnb. Would any of you ever consider being an Uber driver? My mom was an Uber driver. Okay. She hated it. Why did she hate it? But why would you do it? I would do it just because I like to drive. Okay. I don't mind driving to people in my backseat. Yeah. at nighttime, and someone built their car. Oh, God. Yeah, like, traumatized since then they didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I've, I've ridden with them, many Uber rides, and um, all the drivers have been very nice and professional and cars were very clean, and uh, this one this one driver we had in Texas, she was very quiet. Uh, she was a counselor, that was her full-time job, but... In Texas, the speed limit, I think, is like 80 miles an hour on the. She was flying down the road like 90 miles an hour, and I, it just 90 feels different from 70, big time, you know and like I was just I mean, has you ever been in Texas? The highways are huge. I mean, it's like eight lanes you know going down this thing, and she's going 90 miles an hour. So yeah, my anxiety was a little high. So look for a business that meets these important criteria. The job is something you truly enjoy doing. That's a big deal. Like, I like coming to work. I hate getting up in the morning. There's a difference. But once I get here, I like talking to students and sometimes having students talk to me. I like that. You know enough to do the job well, or you're willing to spend time learning it while you have another job, and you can identify a market for your product or service. Yeah, so important. All those things are in combination. So the benefits of a home-based business, ability to start your business immediately, minimal startup capital needed sometimes, no rent or excessive set charges, comfortable working conditions, reduced wardrobe expenses, no commuting, tax benefits, elimination of office politics, and low risk for trial and error. So some downsides of a home-based business are it's difficult to establish your work habits. Yeah, I mean, if you are going to be a home-based business, you have to treat it just like a real job. I'm getting up. It is a real job. I'm getting up. I'm going to do my work from this time to this time. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a lunch. I'm going to go back and do some more stuff. It has to be constructive. Limited support system, isolation. I think that would be the biggest one for me. I, could, I think I could get up and get my work done. But when I started getting into education, one of the big draws to education was having summers off. Yay, I'm off all summer. It is not as awesome as it sounds. Once you've been at the house for three or four weeks, you're bored out of your mind. And in my case, I had my kids with me So the kids were like, Daddy, let's go do something. Let's go here. Let's go do that. Come on, Dad. Let's go. I was like, oh, my God. Get me out of here now. You know, so I actually got a second job just to get me out of the house to do something constructive. So workspace may be limited. Clients may be uncomfortable coming to your home. Zoning restriction and success is 100% based on your efforts. So there are some advantages and disadvantages there. So last thing we'll cover today, and then we'll take a break. So things, I think you're ready for work from home. Here's some things to consider. Question, if I don't know the answer, can I figure it out? Am I hardworking, self-directing, and disciplined? I'm organized and can multitask. I don't mind working long hours or weekends. I regularly set goals and measure progress. I am happy being alone. I am an excellent communicator. I can create relationships with people I've never met. I'm productive on my own. And lastly, my family and friends don't expect me to be available when I'm working at home. And so like... If your family, that's that's a big one. If your family knows that you work from home, um, they can't just call you during normal work hours and expect that you're going to drop everything and run, go pick up the cat from the groomer or whatever, you know. I mean, seriously, like, they have to respect that boundary that, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on my work time. Um, I have a friend that works for Apple. She works from home. She's a call center operative. And so she gets her Mac. They give her her cool equipment. She sits down at her Mac. She's got a headset on. And if you call Apple, you might talk to her, and she'll guide you through steps and things like that. But when she's home, she's, and she's when it's her work hours, she's working. And when she lo- this is different from owning your own business, but when she logs into that terminal, they measure everything she does, how long she's on the call, how long it took to resolve it, you know, what she's doing in her downtime, if any. I mean, every keystroke is measured. So, um, all right, guys, we'll take a break on this first part of Chapter Six. We will finish up Chapter Six on Thursday. Don't forget about Chapter 5. If you haven't done it yet, it's still available. Make sure you uh, take care of that. If you have any questions, shoot me an email. I'll see you Thursday, guys. Appreciate you.